Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Dr. Gil Blander is internationally recognized for his research in the basic biology of aging and translating research discoveries into new ways of detecting and preventing age-related conditions. He leads a team of biology, nutrition, and exercise physiology experts and computer scientists at the exciting new startup called Inside Tracker, and he's been featured everywhere from CNN, The New York Times, Forbes, Financial Times, The Boston Globe, to name a few. It's an honor to have him here today. Gil, welcome. Thank you. So we're going to start off with the big question, the billion-dollar question, the trillion-dollar question, what everyone is thinking about, not everyone, but what I'm thinking about, because I'm 46 and I'm aging, although, of course, we're all aging. Can we slow down aging or can we reverse aging? Let's start there. What do you have to say about the big question? Yeah, so slow aging, definitely we can. Uh, if you look at uh, uh, the average lifespan of the world population at the end of the 19th century, it was around 40 years. And uh, today is around 80, 82. So definitely we can uh, uh, slow uh, aging and live longer. I think that there is what I call a barrier, like genetic barrier of our life. And if you look at the longer lived people in the world, it's around 117, 120. So somehow we have some barrier at that age that it might be very hard for us to penetrate it without having a real revolution. So definitely we can get to 120. I'm not sure that we can pass that, but I think that it's not enough to live to 120. It's very important to have the health span. So there is a lifespan, how long you live, and then there is the health span, how well you live, especially in the last 20 or 30 years. So I don't want to be a, a 100 and be connected to a lot of tube and lie on the bed and, uh, I don't know, and be burden on my kids. I would prefer to climb mountains, talk with people like you, and have fun. So, so I think that what uh, we are trying to do at Insta Tracker and also other people like uh, David Sinclair and others is how can we take uh, the quality of life that we have today, I mean, in my 50s, you are in your 40s, and take it to 80s and 90s and 100s. So, so that's what uh, I'm trying to do, and that's what Insta Tracker is trying to do. We are not trying, uh, we are trying, but I'm not sure that we will succeed to, to pass this barrier, but definitely we can uh, make us live a, a, a better life or longer better life. 100% agreed. It's about health span, it's about quality. So with that said, Dave Asprey, who, who I love, has been on this podcast, who also has a very strong point of view and sometimes says some things that are a little bit out there. One of the things he says is he's going to live to 180. So what do you think? Is that possible? Or... I think that it's possible. It's definitely possible. And I also heard David Sinclair talking about that. There is no explanation to the limit of 120. Okay, so maybe if we we'll have a technology to replace our heart and the and kidneys and the legs and hands and then at the end we can live to uh, uh, 180. Also, there, there could be a, a breakthrough in a, a biology and technology. So definitely it's possible, uh, but I would say that it's unlikely. Uh, so I think that it's possible. So let's get back to, well, okay, so it is possible. All right, so nature versus nurture is another big question, if you will, where does each come into play 
in terms of longevity. What role, do, you know, was we, as we think about DNA, lifestyle, nutrition, how do you think about that nature versus nurture? Yeah, I think that it's a very good question. And again, if we're coming back to what I told you before, at the end of the 19th century, our uh, grand-grandparents lived at, uh, at, until the age of 40, and now we are living at, uh, until the age of uh, 82. And uh, I just heard uh, a few days ago that uh, there are some scientists that saying that people that, uh, or babies that born today can live to 102 or 103 on average. So, so what does it say? We have a very similar genetic uh, uh, material like our grand-grandparents. So definitely the, nature, the na- nurture is very important. The nurture, if you look at the difference between what happened in the 19th century and the end of the 20th century or beginning of the 21st century, a lot of it is a medical uh, improvement. All the vaccines and the uh, improvement in the quality of care of physicians. But I think that there is a lot to do with nutrition and lifestyle and exercise and basically optimize your body. I really like the analogy to the car. As I'm sure that every 5,000 miles or so, you take the car to the technician, plug the car into a computer, and the computer telling the technician exactly what he should replace. He do that, and then the car good for another 5,000 miles, and do it again and again. There is a research that shows actually that the lifespan of the car increased just by that from 100,000 miles to 200,000 miles. So basically, just routine maintenance do that. So what I'm saying, we need to do the routine maintenance to our body. Basically, plug. we cannot plug a computer into our brain yet, but what we are doing at the InstaTracker or other places, we plug a needle into our vein, extract a liquid gold, which is the blood, know what happening inside the body, and then receiving a, a, a recommendation or intervention, what food to eat, what supplement to take, what lifestyle changes to do, uh, what exercise you should do in order to optimize your body. Then 5,000 miles after, you can do it again and again. And hopefully we can increase the lifespan and the health span of our body. I love that. That's something I, I do personally. Something I've said on this podcast, I get blood testing quarterly and I'm a pretty healthy guy, but through that process and working with my doctor, Frank Lipman, I found out I had sky high homocysteine like crazy high, 63, should be underneath 15. Yeah, everyone has the same reaction, like, holy cow, (laughs) everything else is fine. Through the power of supplements, I got it down to 12. Boom. And so like the idea of I didn't even know I had something wrong with me, I felt fine. Like there's no, you don't feel something off if your homocysteine is that that high. But it's a good example. Like I I love the example of a tune up your car makes sense. So my question to you, so I tested for a number of things, homocysteine, heart disease runs in my family. So homocysteine was one of those things. It's it's linked to potentially catastrophic cardiovascular events, stroke, blood clot, et cetera. What are the, the markers, if you will, whether it's the biomarkers, as we think about DNA, as we think about bloods, labs, you can go get a prick down the block at at LabCorp anywhere and also what you're doing, like what are the things we should be looking for, testing for? So it's a very good question. I can tell you that we are testing for 45 blood biomarkers that allow us to see a holistic uh, picture of your body. And uh, those include markers, as you mentioned, related more to cardiovascular health, like all the uh, LDL and the HDL and triglycerides, some markers related to 
השוגר מטאבוליזם, גלוקוז, A1C, some vitamin, very important, you mentioned homocysteine, so it's connected to B12 and folic acid, but we're also looking at B12. Then you have some hormones that are very important. You mentioned before markers such as testosterone and cortisol, actually B12, sorry, vitamin D is also considered to be an hormone. Um, then you have uh, everything that related to, to, to inflammation. There are uh, a lot of markers that related to inflammation, and uh, as we know right now with the COVID situation, uh, inflammation is uh, super important to maintain it low. So we are looking at uh, 10 different markers related to that, and you have a marker of liver health, For some people, it can show whether you are drinking too much. For other people, it can show whether you are too heavy. So, so liver enzymes are a, a, a super important. Then you have markers that related to the iron metabolism. And that's very important to the athletic active population, but also people that uh, need to perform in uh, high stress. So hemoglobin uh, transfers the blood from your lung into the muscle and to the brain. And if you don't have enough of that or enough red blood cells that carry that, you compromise your performance. Uh, so we are looking at around 10 markers related to that. So basically, we are looking at the body holistically, but some people would like to focus on a specific area. They can look only on this uh, side of the, of the body and then understand what's happening there, but then they might miss the full picture. Yeah, and there's a lot to unpack there. Where, where do I start? I'll start with, you mentioned COVID, and I think of the immune system, and vitamin D and vitamin C, in terms of our immune resilience, strengthening our immune system, what should we be focused on in your opinion? Is it just vitamin C and vitamin D? What else should we be looking at in terms of markers, in terms of labs, and, and what should we be focused on? What should everyone be doing to strengthen their immune system yeah. with regards to COVID? So first they need to test for the immune markers. And there are a few markers that are very important to understand your immune function. One of them called HSCRP, high sensitivity C-reactive protein. Another called white blood cells that basically look at all the white blood cells that actually those are the immune system. And then you can look at a specific part of the immune system. For example, lymphocyte, zonophil, and so on. So, so there are a lot of markers to look at them. If you have an issue with those markers, there are some intervention that you can do. A lot of them are a, a lifestyle, like reduce the stress, sleep better. Some supplement can help you to decrease those markers. So th there are a lot of intervention that you can do depending what markers uh, are out. As you said, uh, if it's high, you can take a vitamin C or other vitamins that are uh, actually antioxidant that uh, have been shown to decrease it. And also... Somehow, vitamin D is connected to the immune system. I'm not sure that the mechanism is clear enough, but uh, there is a lot of evidence, especially from the COVID era, that showed that vitamin D is uh, super important. And what is uh, important for everyone to know is that uh, in our database and also uh, in the general U.S. population, almost 50% of the population is low in uh, vitamin D. So uh, vitamin D is definitely something that it's so easy to do it because <laughs> just take one pill a day of vitamin D supplement and you, and you should be better. So it's a no brainer to do that. And so with regards to supplements and, and COVID, I just want to stay on that for a minute. We've heard vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, quercetin. 
I'm just curious, what else is it? Where, where is science today? And I know things are changing quickly. Is that a, a fair list or are there others that we should be thinking about? Or? Yeah, I think that it's a, a pretty fair list of a, a supplement that you can take. Actually, we, we wrote a very good blog about it a, a few months ago. Basically, what uh, supplements are uh, good for that? And I think that you mentioned it uh, pretty well. So basically, as you said, it's zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D. There is another one that's called ginseng that have been shown some positive effect of uh, decreased uh, inflammation. Garlic is another one, another supplement. So I think that those are the main one other than, let's say, probiotics. And probiotics are important because, uh, as we know, the immune, sorry, the digestive system is so important. And if you have the right level of the probiotic in your uh, your body, it's uh, you have a better chance to have less inflammation. So, on the subject of supplements, our, our mutual friend, Dr. David Sinclair, loves resveratrol. I love resveratrol. I'm curious, what's your take on resveratrol? And I think, in ways, he he definitely drew attention to yeah. resveratrol. And I'm curious. Yeah. I think it was an underrated supplement, if you will. So, one, yeah. your thoughts on resveratrol, and are there any other underrated supplements? Collagen's trending. Yeah. Hemp CBD's trending. I'm curious, like, yeah. what's underrated? Yeah, so resveratrol, the claim to, to fame of uh, David Sinclair is that he found that resveratrol is an activator of a CIR2 family or CIR1. And actually, just uh, as a disclaimer, I used to do, to do my postdoc at the same lab that David Sinclair done his postdoc at the uh, Lenny Rental Lab. So I worked on the CIR1 for a, a long term, so I know it pretty well. But also resveratrol is an antioxidant uh, because it's a polyphenol. And actually, uh, if you look at resveratrol, it can do a lot of different things. So definitely resveratrol is, is pretty important. There are even some, some I would say some uh, good scientific data that show resveratrol can uh, decrease the level of uh, glucose, the fasting glucose, in, uh, let's say, pre-diabetic and diabetic patient. So uh, I think that resveratrol is definitely an uh, interesting supplement, I would say. But I, I would uh, what I'm trying to say, people need to be careful with supplement, not take too many just to take it. Because one of the interesting things that we've seen at InstaTracker is I can easily, by looking at the blood of a person, I can know if he's worried well and taking too much supplement. <laughs> one, of the, one of the easiest ones to, to see is the vitamin B12. People love to take vitamin B12. If you think about it, you have it in multivitamin, you have it in all the energy drink. People are taking like crazy amount of B12. And then suddenly you can see that the vitamin B12 is, uh, is on the roof. Now, the, the risk of high, uh, too high vitamin B12 is not extremely bad because it's a water-soluble uh, vitamin, so it will go out via your uh, system. But still, there are some uh, side effects, but it also shows you the picture that uh, uh, you're taking too much. And as you know, uh, our liver detoxified a lot of those molecules, so too much will make our liver work hard and can uh, get... Uh, so, so I think that... Uh, my best advice on supplement is take the supplement that you need based on uh, what your body is saying. The best is uh, looking at your blood, but if you can't uh, do that, take it reasonably and don't overdose. It's not like it, the more the merrier. 100% agreed, and which segues to food and nutrition. And if you, I, I know we're all, look, part of your work is you know, in doing the testing and the work you're doing at Inside Tracker. It's about discovering what we really need. We're all unique individuals. But if we had to generalize, what role does nutrition play? And like what diet 
are we all going to benefit from in terms of eating for longevity? Yeah, so I think that nutrition is super important. I will try to start with a few analogies. I, I see everyone's body as the most important machine that we have. I think that everyone, I assume, may feel like that. And if you have, like, I don't know, Maserati car, you won't feed it with a, a low-grade gasoline. You will give it the highest gasoline as possible. So it should be the same with our body. You need to be very careful and feed it with the best gasoline that you can. So that's one point. The second point is, if you look at the USDA database of the food available today, there are around 8,000 different food items. Now, if you look at the average American in an average week, we consume maybe only 20 food items. More than that, most of us consume the same food items. So what I'm saying, let's move the drug cabinet from the bathroom to the refrigerator, and then also feed the right food that is good for us. Basically, we have this uh, 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 universe of food and we are consuming that. Let's find what food is good for us. For example, if you have a, a low iron, a red meat might be great for you. If you have high cholesterol, maybe it's not very good for you. If you have high inflammation, it's great for you because they have a, a high antioxidant. If not, they're okay. You don't have to buy it. It's expensive. So, so basically, uh, try to find what are the uh, food that's good for you. And actually, what I'm doing for me, I have an action plan from InstaTracker with like 10 to 15 uh, items a day. So basically, I don't have a, a, a space to, uh, to enter junk into my, in, in my diet because I need to have fish uh, twice a week, and then I need to have uh, beans a few times a week, and then I need to eat other things. And, and then at the end of the day, I feed myself only with the food that is good for me. And I think that when you get to that point and you believe, okay, yeah, we need to enjoy it. And uh, my wife is actually a, a great cook and I, I love uh, the food that she's making. But, but you need to look at it as a, a food as a drug. And if it's a drug, uh, try to uh, uh, feed your body with the best gasoline that you can. <laughs> and that's what definitely will allow you to live a longer, better life. It will allow you to be optimized all the time. But if you had to generalize, I think, I think that's a fair point. David would go as far as you should mostly eat vegetables, probably not a lot of red meat. What's your take if you had to generalize on a diet that probably works 80% for 80% yeah. of the people? Yeah, yeah, I think that, uh, and I've seen that also David Katz came to your uh, interview yes. with you. So David Katz is uh, definitely, by the way, uh, full disclosure, is advisor of our company. So, so I, I think that it's pretty easy. Everything that comes in a package, every processed food is not good for you. Okay, try to eat something that is a, a natural. Try, I, I completely agree with David, a, a too much meat is not good. There, there's a lot, there are a lot of studies that show that the, the value of a veggie diet. But again, you don't need to be crazy. So have one day, a, be flexitarian and eat a one day a week a, only. Don't eat meat once a week or twice a week or as much as you can. Try to eat a lot of uh, fruit and vegetable. I think that if you look at a, a sort of, a, a, I would say, superfood, I would say that uh, oatmeal is a, a oats is a, a, a very good dish because you have a, a lot, a high, very high amount of fiber. I think that beans are also a, a, a very good. I, I would say that berries are also very good. So. I think that uh, fish are also very good, but again, with all the mercury and all of that, don't eat it every day. So I, I think that if you'll do that, and again, don't eat too much and don't be too heavy, I think that you'll uh, get, as you said, 80%. Uh, 
we are serving the people that want to be optimized and uh, be the Maserati. If you want to be the, I don't know, the Honda Civic, that's okay. I want to be, the, I think we want to be the Tesla. We'll be the Tesla. Yeah, okay, Tesla. We got to go electric. We got to go electric. I agree. I agree. So you mentioned oatmeal and there was a great peer reviewed paper on Inside Tracker, which we're going to talk about. It had so many great nuggets of information and, and I'll, re I'll read the quote from the paper, quote, there is a precedent in the literature for consumption of both oatmeal and green tea and, green tea and reduction of LDL levels through the evidence, though, though the evidence is mixed with respect to dairy, end quote. So we got oatmeal, green tea, LDL, dairy in there. So my, my question to you is what specific foods have you started eating or stopped? You talked about a little bit of your diet, like after tracking your own bite, like how have you changed yeah. your own life? Yeah, I changed it a lot. And actually, very similarly to, to you, Jason, I'm uh, tracking my biomarker every uh, few months. So I'm uh, adjusting it based on that. But uh, definitely I have a predisposition to high uh, uh, cholesterol. And my glucose is not uh, out of normal, but is not optimal. So I, I think that uh, oatmeal is uh, great for me and I'm uh, having it uh, religiously every day. Unless days that I'm going and uh, going out for cycling for a couple of hours and I'm coming too late, so I'm uh, uh, skipping it and getting to dinner, to lunch. So, so that's one food. Another food is uh, all the berries that are uh, again high with antioxidant and high with fiber as well. I'm trying to eat beans as well, again to decrease my level of glucose and uh, the cholesterol family and trying to eat fish to help increase my vitamin D, which is not very easy because it's very hard to increase vitamin D using food alone. So I'm also supplementing in that. And I think that in my opinion, everyone needs to supplement with vitamin D because it's extremely hard to do it. Eating some dairy with, that fortified with B12 because somehow my B12 is always borderline. And uh, it's connected to the homocysteine that you mentioned before. So I, I want to be sure that it's not bad. So those are a, a, a few things that I done. Another thing that I start, try to do less is eat less uh, red meat or meat at all. And I'm uh, trying to, to do that. I'm also doing uh, intermittent fasting. Also, again, there are a lot of evidence in the literature that intermittent fasting is good for longevity uh, and also good for uh, maintaining your weight. So I'm uh, trying not to eat before, uh, let's say, 10.30 or 11, and not to eat after 6.30. So basically, I'm uh, maintaining a window of uh, time that uh, I'm uh, basically fasting. And, and I think that it's great if you can do it. It's so easy because you have uh, one time that you stop eating and one time that you start eating, and that's it. So it's a pretty easy intervention. So there are a couple of things that I want to talk about. One is intermittent fasting. And then also you mentioned glucose. So with regards to glucose, there are a lot of innovative startups right now coming out with glucose monitors. You can put on your arm, you can track how your blood sugar spikes yeah. throughout the day. And I've tried a couple of these and, and wow, it's fascinating. What's your take with regards to monitoring those blood sugar, monitoring glucose throughout the day in terms of longevity and what role plays metabolic health and the, the bigger picture, if you will. Yeah, I think that it's uh, not bad to do it. I think that it's uh, actually great to do it. So so what's what happening is uh, post-meal, there is a peak of glucose 
which going down by releasing the insulin from the pancreas and basically allowing it to go down. So as high as your peak is the uh, higher chance that you will uh, overwork the uh, beta cells in the pancreas and then you will uh, uh, become finally a, a diabetic. So I think that it's a, a, a great to do that. What I may want to say that there is not enough peer-reviewed data in the literature to know exactly what does it mean and what should be your peak and what should, because not a lot of people done it yet. I think that in the future, it's definitely a very important marker, but I'm not sure that right now for the average American to do that, I'm not sure that you will get a lot of information from that. So I think that it's a, it's a great, I would say, a research tool. It will be a ready for uh, the mass market in a few years, I would say. For, for me, it was fascinating to see alcohol, for example, how whether red wine versus uh, uh, a margarita versus a beer, the impact of yeah. various you know types of alcohol or various types of treats, whether it be uh, a gluten-free donut versus uh, a keto treat versus a chocolate bar. And just like, it's just fascinating to get that type of understanding around how certain foods affect your body and processed food too. Like, wow, like I saw some spikes. When you threw all those things, when you threw like uh, sugary, processed, Mm-hmm. The whole shebang, like, whoa, was this prolonged spike, the double whammy. So you mentioned intermittent fasting. It's something I practice. It works for me. There are lots of different opinions in terms of what does the science say? Some people are big believers in autophagy. What does the science say around in terms of windows or is it different for everyone? Do you have to have a is it 16-8 where you're eating for during an eight-hour window and then not eating for 16 or, you know, 18-6 or yeah. the Walter Longo method where it's, or is it, yeah. there's so many different ways to practice intermittent fasting. I'm curious, like, what's your take in terms of the science as relates to yeah. longevity? So, so I would say that in a human, uh, the short answer is we are not, we don't really know what is the best. <laughs> we have a lot of information from animals. And actually, David Sinclair done an amazing study, in a, I would say maybe a decade ago, that he started uh, to caloric restrict mice. So mice live uh, three years. And what he done, he, he, he took mice that were two years old and were obese and start to caloric restrict them. And if shown actually that they are completely reversed and instead of being sick, they become uh, healthy. Now, there, there is a lot of data in the, uh, in the peer-reviewed scientific literature on uh, uh, mice and rats and even monkeys that show that uh, uh, caloric restriction in different ways can I- increase lifespan significantly, up to 50%. What is known in human that caloric restriction can affect, let's say, surrogate markers of longevity decrease blood pressure, decrease uh, uh, cholesterol, decrease glucose, definitely decrease the weight. And I think that those data showing that uh, you can see a, a similar effect if you do a one day on, one day off, or 5-2, or 18-6. Or, so, so I think that the, uh, the bottom line is that I think that any way that you will do it is good. As you said, for you and for me, it's easier to do a, a intermittent fasting like that. Some other people, it might be easier for them to say, okay, today I won't eat, the next day I will eat, or take uh, five days 
uh, fast uh, months. I think that the big picture is that most likely it will help you, but there is not enough uh, data in the literature to say this one is better than that. Got it. So we talked about nutrition, we talked about intermittent fasting, lifestyle, sleep, stress, anxiety, loneliness. There's a loneliness epidemic right now. Yeah. How did, what role do the, the, these lifestyle problems or, or opportunities play a role in terms of longevity? Yeah, I think that, uh, as you said, all of us are lonely. We are seeing each other via Zoom or Skype all the day. And it's, uh, it's very tough. And when you, you feel like that, you have a bad mood. Uh, you don't sleep well. You are stressed. Your cortisol is going high. Cortisol is going uh, high, uh, can increase inflammation. Cortisol is going high, can cut your muscle and basically break it down. So it started to, uh, to get into a vicious circle of problems that you can uh, start accumulating. So that's why I think that it's very important for us to continue our routine, to sleep well. It's so important to sleep is super important for uh, maintaining your resting heart rate and the glucose and the inflammation, the stress. When you don't sleep well, your stress is going up. Your testosterone is going down. So sleep is a, a, a definitely super important. Exercise. And we need to exercise. Even sure that we have clothes in, uh, in the house, Find a way to exercise. Exercise is, uh, we were built to, to run and to, to move. And if you don't exercise, that can basically also decrease your testosterone if you uh, don't exercise enough. But in other way, don't uh, overdo it. So if you exercise too much, again, I'm, I'm sure that 99% of the population is not in that problem. But there are some people like that, and we see it at Insta Tracker. We have a, a significant amount of people that are overachiever and exercise too much. And then you can see that uh, your testosterone is also will go down, your uh, resting heart rate will go up and so on. So we need to do everything in moderation in order to uh, maintain our health. So th- I, there's a lot to unpack there for me. So one exercise, isn't it, isn't less more and there's so much strong science around high intensity interval training or shocking the system. I, you know, our, our, I'll mention our friend David Sinclair again, like talks about yeah. like this idea of the cold showers, the cold baths, and like what high intensity interval training yeah. does is shock the system and less is more and you're better off just moving. It, it kind of feels like so much of what we've been told about exercise is <laughs> wrong and really it's about less is more and we should just try to move throughout the day yeah so so i think that i wouldn't say that less is more but don't over exercise and i can give you an example right now we are uh, connecting uh, and i see that you have a few of those uh, tools so i track uh, every, are, i got everything yeah here. I, I can see it <laughs> i don't have all of those i have a few so we are connecting activity tracker into uh, the blood biomarker into the genetics and we have a data scientist that's starting to look at all the data and uh, shocking for me, I'm, uh, I'm trying to exercise every day, okay? And I, I've seen that uh, in a week that I exercise every day, my resting heart rate is uh, a few bit higher than the, uh, in the week that I'm not exercising enough. So basically what he's telling me, hey, Gil, take it easy. You need to, uh, to take a bit of rest. Some other people see the opposite. So the, the, the week that you exercise more, actually your resting heart rate is going down. So I think that it's very hard to come and say, everyone don't exercise or everyone exercise twice a week. It's very uh, personalized to you based on uh, 
uh, your body, and we have enough markers, some are physiological, such as resting heart rate, or the quality of your sleep, REM sleep, deep sleep, that we can, uh, HRV, that can tell us what's happening inside your body. But I completely agree with you that uh, um, um, doing HIIT, or high intensity interval training, there are a lot of value in that. And uh, some people that don't have time, or uh, some people that want to get the value uh, faster and less stress the, the body can do that. There are uh, some data in the literature that show that sometimes high-intensity interval training is better than, uh, I don't know, going for a run for two hours. Yeah, it, it's fascinating. And you mentioned all the trackers. I've got, I've, I got my Aura ring. I got my Fitbit. Yeah, I I've, got my, I've got my Whoop. I track everything. And it's you are completely wired. <laughs> I'm completely wired. And it's fascinating. It really is. And I think there's, for me personally, there's just value to understanding what my body responds to. Yeah. And so you also mentioned cortisol and you mentioned testosterone and you tested inside tracker the cortisol testosterone ratio so can you talk about why you do that and the relationship yeah. between those hormones and aging i would say that yeah definitely there is a relationship to aging but uh, the major reason that we are testing those is uh, for the athletic active population because for them the ratio is very important because testosterone is an hormone that building muscle, uh, called anabolic building muscle, and cortisol is a, a hormone that a, a breaking muscle or catabolic. And what we need to try to find a way is to to make the testosterone the highest as possible. Again, don't take uh, don't inject testosterone into your body, but naturally, and uh, make the cortisol the lowest as possible. When you are there, you have a better way uh, to build muscle if you want to, to look very muscly, or if you are an athlete or something like that. Now, there, is also a, there are also some correlation, actually strong correlation, between the level of uh, testosterone in the population and the age. So on average, uh, uh, every male every year loses between 1% to 2% of uh, uh, his testosterone level during the lifespan. So if your testosterone uh, stay uh, higher relatively, so you are, uh, theoretically, you are younger comparing to your peers in regard to testosterone. So you mentioned some of the proprietary data and learnings from Inside Tracker. What are you, like anything surprising as you're, you're looking at, in terms of what you're finding of what's working for people common problems, just in general, any surprises yeah. as you're looking at all the, the data yeah. in front of you? Yeah, so I think that a, a lot of us are looking at the pro athletes as the gods, that they are completely bulletproof and clean and all of that. But when you look uh, inside their body, actually, it's not like that. They have a, a lot of problems, especially the one that the gifted. Uh, so you have the gifted population and you have uh, the hard worker. And I see myself as the hard worker. I'm not a gifted uh, person. So the hard worker, their body look better because they are taking uh, into consideration what they feed the body. While the gifted eat uh, the pizza and the hamburger all the time. And when you look inside their body, you see it. You see the, how they their mark or they drink a lot of alcohol. You see their liver enzyme. So that was a surprise to me because I, I always saw that uh, those guys are like a god. That's one uh, surprise. Another uh, interesting fact that we found is related uh, uh, mainly to uh, uh, premenopausal women. 
So I was surprised to see how uh, often premenopausal women, especially premenopausal women that are exercising, that they have a, a significant issue with uh, the level of iron, and they are not aware of that. And that's, a, that's a, a, again, a, a big problem because uh, if you are trying to improve your run, you are in a problem. But also if you are trying to improve your performance at work, uh, when you don't have enough iron or specifically ferritin is the marker that is the, I think that is the most important other than uh, uh, hemoglobin, is uh, pretty low for them. So we have seen a lot of that. Another surprise is that uh, a significant amount of uh, people that have issue with the metabolism and they never knew about it. Very similar to what you found with the homocysteine, you didn't know about it. So we have seen a lot of uh, uh, people that came to us, (laughs) especially at the beginning when I was connected to the customers, and they told me, Gil, you don't understand. I'm great. I feel feel well. How come my uh, testosterone is so high or my glucose is so high? I'm sure that the lab made the mistakes. (laughs) Okay, we're using the, the same lab that your physician is using. So people are really surprised that they have any issues that they don't really know about them. And then if they won't take care of those issues when they are small, they will get into a situation that will need to, the physician will need to intervene in order to solve them. So they will go into the ER and they, uh, hopefully not, but they might have some uh, cardiovascular issue or they will uh, become diabetic. But if you take those issues when uh, they are small and maintain them, mainly using food, but if needed, the supplement and the exercise and lifestyle, you can basically delay the time that you need to go to the physician and uh, get uh, the medical intervention. Wow. So if we focus on the the health conscious group, if you will, so for our listeners, I would say you're a health conscious group. And I would say we, we have a lot of young, healthy women. And I'm curious in terms of young, relatively healthy women, are there some markers or metrics where you're finding we're not, that group isn't scoring as well on? Is that iron as well, or is there something else? Yeah, yeah, definitely iron. A lot of them right now, you spoke about a veggie diet and a vegan diet. So a lot of them have an issue with a vitamin, specifically vitamin B12. And again, vitamin B12 is a, a very important for brain function and also creation of the red blood cells. So uh, I think that uh, especially young women that are not eating enough meat or might have uh, uh, those issues. Other issues that uh, uh, women, uh, young women have, but I don't think that it's only for them, is uh, um, some people are consuming too much alcohol and uh, you can see it in the uh, liver enzyme. So be careful. Liver is very important and don't uh, overstress it. So I think that's a, a, another um, interesting point about it. And as I said before, it's, again, it's not only for young women, but we've seen that a uh, um, significant amount of uh, health conscious are taking too many supplements uh, and not for good. So be careful about that. Take it when you need it. Sure. So we spent a lot of time talking about all these things you can measure. I love measuring things. I, I, I like seeing results. But what we believe, what I believe, I think a lot of our listeners believe, also that there are things you can't measure. I think of meaning, purpose, significance, a belief in something greater than oneself. What role do all these things we can't necessarily measure play in our quest for living a longer, happier, healthier life? 
Yeah, it's a very tough question because I don't know what are they, so it's, it's very hard to quantify it. But uh, uh, I think that uh, um, we still have the genetics. We can measure it. I'm not sure that we understand all the genetic completely, but uh, definitely there is a, a, a effect of genetics. And actually we started to include genetics to come and tell you, uh, hey, Jason, it's not only that you have a, a cholesterol, but also you have a predisposition to cholesterol. Or it's not only that you have high B12 or low B12, you also have predisposition to that. So that's one thing. Another thing that I think that is starting to, it will become very meaningful in the near future, is all the microbiome and what's happening inside our gut. So we have more bacteria cells in our body than mammalian cells. And we don't understand it completely, but I think that in the next five years, it will uh, become a very important variable that uh, uh, we need to, uh, to look at it. Another one is the epigenetics. And I know that when uh, David Sinclair was uh, posted by you, you discussed about the Hovas clock and all of that. So I think that uh, epigenetic is super important. And we don't understand it enough, but uh, what Steve Hovas done, it's a revolution. Finally, we have a good clock for uh, longevity. And I think that, they, uh, but it won't be only that. I'm sure that they, there will be some uh, uh, correlation between that and BMI and other uh, things. So I think that the, the, there is a lot of things that we still need to find and uh, discover. So you talked about the, the microbiome and the evolution that's happening there in the next five years. And in terms of the next five years, wh where do you think we're going to be in terms of the longevity conversation? Like, what are you watching What's the developing science that you're paying attention to where it's early and speculative, but yeah. you think it's interesting? Yeah, I think that uh, definitely what uh, Steve Orvas is doing with the uh, Orvas clock is uh, super interesting. Could you talk about that for people? I think it, just explain what the Orvas yeah. clock is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so what, uh, Steve Orvas is a, a, a professor at UCLA and uh, he's a, actually a statistician mathematician. And what he have done is basically looked at our genome and look at how the modification of the DNA, methylation of the DNA specifically, is correlated to aging. So there are millions of sites in our DNA that are methylated, and that's influenced the transcription of the genes from the DNA and so on. And what he found that there is a correlation between the methylation in a specific sites, and basically, how, how old is the person? What was fascinating about that, that uh, the accuracy of this prediction is like, uh, I would say 99.999%. It's like, uh, it's crazy, it's amazing. So basically they can look at a, a specific person, let's say someone at the age of 40, and will tell you, uh, you are between 40.5 to 39.5. It's very, very accurate. What is the challenge right now with the Hovas clock is, and what I'm uh, trying to uh, actually work together with Steve, is to find a Hovas clock that can be modulated by a, a, a lifestyle intervention. There was a paper a few, uh, I, sh I would say a year ago, that showed that you can modulate the Hovas clock by some a, a, a very strong intervention, such as a, a growth hormone and other a, a drug that you basically can uh, inject people and then you can decrease the Orvas clock. But all the other data that we have so far make it uh, uh, like uh, if you compare the age of someone that uh, was uh, had a high BMI versus small BMI, 
the difference was pretty small. So we are now trying to find a way maybe to look at the a bit different side of the methylation that will allow us to come and say, hey, it's not only that, uh, I don't know, your uh, HOVAS uh, age is uh, 40 and you're uh, 40 and you're 35, we have a way to uh, give you an intervention and then to show you that your HOVAS clock will go down. So I think that's one thing that is uh, um, very exciting that uh, um, uh, is starting to come. I gotta do that one. That's on my. That's on my list. Yeah, you should. So, what should we? I know it's again. It's hard to generalize, but in closing, for everyone listening, other than we got, we have some homework. We got to do some lab work. We should all be eating some oatmeal and and some beans and some berries. Not a lot of alcohol. I know that's that's tough in COVID for some people, but what? should we all be doing if we want to live a longer, healthier, happier life? What are what are the non-negotiables? Yeah, again, I think that uh, it's very hard for me to generalize it. So uh, the best way for you is... Uh, I know, but I'm trying. I know it is. I know it is, but I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, you know, I understand. I'm just saying that it's uh, it's amazing to see how uh, each person have a different uh, issue because we are the most complicated machine that ever created. <laughs> and because of that, there are, uh, each of us have uh, uh, his own issues. But if you want to generalize it, is that you need to basically eat uh, healthy, take the right supplement. And again, I think that supplements are good when, uh, uh, because some people are saying no supplement at all. But I, I, I completely disagree with that. Uh, take the right supplement that you need. Take the, uh, make a, a, a good lifestyle. So don't walk, don't overwork, sleep well, spend time with your family. As you said, the emotional and the loneliness right now, it's, it's horrible. I see it with my team. It's hard. People, don't, people haven't seen their parents for a few years now or a few months. It's very hard. So try to uh, relax, to have fun, and exercise in moderate. I think that all of that will... Uh, th- th- there, there is no silver bullet or a shortcut. You need to maintain your body well because it's uh, it's deserved. 100%. And I know we all search for silver bullets. I do. Everyone does. We all fall into that trap. But it really is a lifestyle yeah. and finding yeah. out what works for you and adjusting and listening to your body. And if you have the ability to do testing and, and, and gather some metrics make adjustments and iterate and i also think so many and like there's some things you can't feel like homocysteine for example but i think for the for many people there are things like hey i don't feel good after i drink coffee at 4 p.m i I have trouble sleeping or i'm jittery or i'm fine it doesn't bother me and i think there's something a lot of this is also intuitive for people yeah yeah and if you have an activity tracker you can uh, measure it and see. Uh, if you measure your sleep and you see that uh, the day that you drank coffee uh, at uh, 4 p.m., uh, your sleep uh, quality was bad, do some quantified self end of one experiment and try to see the next day, uh, don't drink coffee there and see if it's improved and then uh, iterate and improve it. Uh, I think that it's great to do some experiment. So I'll, I, I want to close on coffee because I love coffee. In terms of longevity, I love people who reinforce my belief system that that good espresso or black coffee is good for longevity. So can you reinforce my belief? Is there science that that I know there's science? What's your take? I I think that coffee is is good and bad. I can tell you that I don't drink coffee and I don't drink alcohol. I don't drink coffee not because I I believe that it's bad, 
because I got used to that. And I, I said, okay, if I don't need it, why should I drink it? But I think that there, there are a lot of good things about coffee. It can make you alert, it's make you much more focused, it's uh, give you some uh, energy. And I think that drink coffee in moderate, it's, uh, it's not bad. There are some data, that, as you said, that actually show that it's good. But don't drink like a, a 15 cup of coffees. Some people also, it's depend on your genetic in a way. Some people are very sensitive to coffee. So uh, some people smell coffee, maybe it's me, and uh, then you, they cannot sleep for uh, 24 hours. So uh, you need to, to understand what is uh, how your body behaves. Some other people can drink coffee at, uh, I don't know, at 11 p.m. and fall asleep at 11 or 1. So it's really uh, specific, but I don't think that coffee is bad. Not at all. The same with alcohol, by the way. I, I don't want anyone to take into, don't drink alcohol. No, you should drink, you should uh, have fun, but don't uh, get crazy. And if you drink alcohol, try to drink it at, uh, at lunch and not at dinner, and then it won't influence your sleep. Resveratrol and red wine. Yeah. There you go. The problem, the problem <laughs> with resveratrol and red wine is that uh, you need to drink. I remember that uh, David uh, calculated once, and it was like 1,000 cup of wine in order to get the right amount of resveratrol that you have in the supplement. So right. that's another example that you cannot get it from uh, natural. And I think most of us would agree that's probably too much red wine to consume yeah. in yeah. one sitting. Yeah. <laughs> well, Gil, thank you so much. It's been great to have you here. And I think there are some lots to think about for our audience as we're all looking to not just live longer, but, you know, do it in a way that allows us to be happier and healthier and increase our health span, not just our lifespan. So thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you.